Welcome to Man Pepper, a fantasy baseball podcast, straight up baseball banter with your hosts, Jake and Chris. Back at it. Episode three. Chris, how was your vacation, man? What's going on? What's up, Jake? It was good. My, my son had his April vacation from school, so we went down to Fort Myers, Florida, visited his grandma. Um, you know, it was a good time. It was good to get into some nice weather. But, you know, man, traveling with two young kids, mine are four and two. It's like the worst thing ever. Um, the flight back with my daughter, she just lost her shit the whole time. And we were just those parents like sitting in a plane with your kid just absolutely screaming and going nuts and had to deal with it. But so so I don't really want to do that anytime soon, but it was good to get away. It's a it's a historic day in the past two years. Chris, the mask mandate on planes and airports was just lifted today. Oh, really? when I say just lifted the federal judge in Florida knocked it down. So my wife and kids just flew to Florida for four days and they had to wear masks this morning. Well, I just texted her and said, Hey, on your way home, you don't have to wear it. Yes. Yeah, so they just missed uh, being mask free, but Hey, that's good. Going to, going to be more comfortable on a plane without a mask. That's for sure. I mean, I don't know about how your tactic was. I would, you know, where, whatever your stance on masks and COVID, we're not here to talk about that. But my go-to was I'd sit there with a beer in my hand <laughs> or actually not a beer because they weren't serving beer, a water. And I would just hold it in my hand near my face the whole time and keep my mask down. Just, I just didn't want to wear it, man. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I work remote since COVID, so I'm just not used to wearing them for any extended stretch. Yeah. Uh, and the only time I've really had to wear them for that long has been the plane. So it just gets a, a little annoying after a few hours. And especially when I had a two-year-old just, again, losing her shit next to me trying to punch me, throwing her binky at me. It just, it wasn't fun. Um, so that'll, <laughs> that'll improve the flying experience for sure. You're ready for, for a vacation from your vacation. All right, man. Well, uh, uh, episode three, man, we're gonna, we're gonna do a quick recap of our first full week, uh, which was a 10 day, 10 day stint. Some of the scores, uh, who's left in the survivors. We're gonna do some baseball, actual baseball overreactions by or sell. Uh, Coach's Corner. You know, we still haven't come up with a good name. That's the best name that we can come up with so far. And stories from Hennepin Hall. So it sounds like a pretty good agenda. Chris, what are you drinking today, man? So I've got a New England IPA from Alvarian Brewing Company. It's uh, New Britain, Connecticut. Really nice uh, micro brew. We, we go there after some of our networking events locally. It's a really good spot. I like their beer a lot. And this one personally is one of my favorites. Nice and lactose yeah, nice and hazy. So you could see it. The listeners can't, but it's got a nice color to it. Uh, it's a nice midweek beer for sure. How about you? Nice. I got Jade IPA by Foothills Brewing, which is out of uh, Winston-Salem. It's not a super bitter IPA. It's just nice and smooth, but it's also packing, I believe, 7.5% right. alcohol. So it's a, it's a heavy hitter, Yeah, but it's good. Like smooth. It. Super smooth. I got my bowl of ice with other jades in it right next to me so i'm good to go for a little while i it's been a while since i've seen the midweek beer bowl but i'm glad that you got yours working on a monday (laughs) it's like a salad bowl for fuck's sake (laughs) 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 all right so dude survivor who's left teams we have 12 teams in the league there's friggin' eight teams left man yeah a lot of ties uh a lot of people surviving week one i think a few years ago we did it where if you tied you actually were eliminated um, because we had a rule that you had to win the week, but that, that honestly like dwindled it down so quickly that we reversed it. So yeah, eight teams advance. 
And again, last team standing. So last team not to lose a week uh, wins 100 bucks. So we have swing for the Pences. They're out. Enormous tits. They lost. Freakin' Reekins, who you beat, right? Absolutely. And in the dumpster, in last place, is Joe Pa, who I took a dump on, and I'm in first place. I also won $50, if you guys recall, from last week's uh, bet. I did a little spot bet with Moberg, won 50 Chris, would you do any little betting or what? Yeah, it's a smaller side bet with uh, the Freakin' Reekins. That's the co-management of uh, Moises and Kyle. 20 bucks. Uh, I won 6 of 4 so... You know, not as much beer money as you for the weekend, but I'll take it. Yeah, I already I just total impulse buy at the store and just spent forty five dollars on beer. Nice. Uh, so it's already spent. <laughs> thanks, Moberg. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Moberg. He was so mad this morning. He replied with, "Ugh, that was his Venmo to me." Yeah, well, he's down in Miami right now with his with his family on a little vacation. So um, honestly, I don't know what hurts more, losing the 50 or being where he is, but <laughs> we'll see. Let's talk about your own team and how you performed, and then talk a little bit about my team. What were you excited about? I mean, you obviously won. I saw you had a bazillion home runs, which is par for the course, but what else happened? My team performed pretty much as I drew it up, not only for week one, but for the entire season. So a ton of RBIs. I think I had like 68 RBIs over the 10-day stretch, a lot of home runs. Not a great batting average, um, but 10 saves, I think, and a very low ERA and whip. So I lost the categories I think I'm going to lose frequently, um, wins, <laughs> Ks, and stolen bases. Uh, but, you know, my team performed well, but a lot of injuries week one, I feel like, not just on, on the guys I have on my team, but just league-wide. So it could be maybe a rough go for me in the, in the coming weeks. How about you? Were you active? Were you active on the waiver wire? Uh, I didn't, I don't know if I saw you out there at all much. No, I, we've talked about this on the prior episodes that I really like to stream pitchers, but the way my team started performing, I actually had one or two good starts out of the gate, keeping my ERA and whip down. And then my closers perform really well. But after about four or five days, um, I was so far behind wins and K's already that I didn't want to start streaming pitchers and balloon the ERA and whip basically. Cause I didn't think I'd be able to catch up in the other categories. So I just kind of stayed the course and actually sat some of my starting pitchers near the end of the week, just because I didn't need those counting stats. And I wanted to keep the ERA and whip as low as possible. Aggressive management right out of the gate. Week <laughs> one sitting, starting pitching yes. only in league Rossi. You're going to hear that aggressiveness <laughs> and only in a head to head uh, league. People aren't only in a head to head league. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My team, I was pleasantly surprised with my offense. Uh, Luis Robert, who stole, I think, four bases, hit two bombs. Marcelo Zuna with four bombs, three bombs or four. Arenado was like hitting like 500 with four bombs. Tim Anderson was suspended for the first two games because he made contact with an umpire in the playoffs last year. And he's, he came out and just he went like two for four, three for five every game after. So offense played incredibly well. And I, I think I swept Moberg on all offensive categories. And uh, my starting pitching, uh, you know, I had a shit ton of wins and a shit ton of Ks. And he had a couple of really good starts, so he beat me on whip and ERA. But it drew up exactly how I thought. I was going to coin flip for saves every week because I really don't have a good closer. I got one save. He had three. So I beat him 7-3. to three. I'm happy with it. Offense looked good. Acuna, good news on him coming back. And I was super active on the waiver wire. I think I used all five of my slots in the first four days. And I got Mackenzie Gore who I'm excited for as a prospect. And I got a few other prospects. So 
Nice. I already 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 dropped my catcher. Got a new catcher because <laughs> he got like twelve at bats in a ten day span. So I was like, I, I can't. I gotta get something out of the catcher. Yeah. Again, if you don't have one of the top, probably only two or three catchers, it's a pretty expendable position where you just want to mix and match and honestly get guys that are going to play that week, right? You don't want to have a guy on your lineup that's gonna be sitting a majority of the games. But I wanted to congratulate you on the Arenado selection. You said you were targeting him going into the draft. Obviously, it's early, but what a great week one. And then Ozuna, man, um, I was looking up his stats. Historically, he had like his monster season about five years ago. And since then, he's had a lot of injuries. But who knows? Maybe if he stays healthy, he could kind of replicate what he used to be. Really great start, though. Yeah, I mean, for a dollar towards the very end of my draft, literally anchored the offense, him and him and Arenado week one. So, yeah. And he, yeah, he's just, he looks good. He's a fastball hitter. And yep. being down here in, in the South, I get to see a lot of the Braves. So a good week, man. I enjoyed a seven, seven to three. I'm in first place. I think you're right behind me in second place, six to four, right? And here we are. Yeah, I got a tough matchup coming up this week against uh, Mike Amberry. He's nuts. He's always got a pretty strong team. And like I said, I got a lot of injuries I'm dealing with. So I'm not super optimistic, but crossing my fingers that, you know, I at least eke out a tie, maybe a slight win and progress on in Survivor. Sometimes you just got to hope for a tie. Yeah. You know, that's the best case scenario. What do you think? What do you think we jump into a little bit of actual, you know, baseball slash fantasy talk with some of our early season first 10 day discussion? Or is there anything else you want to hit on the? No, let's do it. So let's start in the AL East, man, because obviously we're Red Sox fans. How fucking good. Does Rafi Devers look? I mean, dude, what the hell? The guy's unbelievable. He looks awesome. He was my prize coming out of the draft. Great start. Couple home runs. I think he's hitting almost 400. And look, we talked about it. He's only 25. Um, so I'm not going to be at all surprised if he surpasses what he did last year and continues to get better in the next couple of years. So yeah, I don't, I don't expect him to hit 380 all year, but this could definitely be the year he's right at 300 with with 40 bombs. Yeah. And he, he's got a 15 game hitting streak, you know, Patriots day today, Boston marathon. He, I saw him at least rip a single at like 1145 AM this morning. Cause the game was on early dude. He's just a beast. And I did hear some rumor, not a rumor. I think there's some, there's some contract extension talks, you know, Bogarts was offered something and he turned it down. And I don't know if you heard about this, that supposedly Rafi Devers and the Red Sox are like hundred million to $150 million off in their contract extension talks. I didn't hear that. I, I heard that Bogarts and the Sox were pretty far apart because they were prioritizing signing Devers. Um, but I guess I'm not surprised. I mean, what's he looking for? Like 400 million, something stupid like that. I know these guys want to get some money. If you're Bogarts, I think they offer him like 125 mil extension on top of his already next few years. So like all said and done, he'll make 200 million with the Red Sox. You just t- signed Story for what, 160. And then what if you signed Devers for another 200 or 250? I mean, you got a core nucleus there and you got a team that can compete. I'm just thinking like these guys are making so much money. They're maybe they're they're like, oh, I, I'm worth more. But now you're going to go to the fucking Rockies and, you know, and just like Chris Bryant, who I like, but like he's in the Rockies and like he's just going to die out there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I miss I misunderstood you. You were saying Bogarts and the Sox were that far apart, not Devers and the Sox. I, I heard Devers, but maybe someone oh, misspoke right. and it was Bogarts. I really don't know, man. Yeah. I To your point, though, it's crazy. When you start talking about asking for an extra hundred million when you've got one twenty five on the table, I get it. I'm all for them going to get their their money, but I hear what you're saying too. Like, pick the spot where you might be happiest and actually want to play, as opposed to getting, you know, an extra fifth, maybe fifty million on top of one fifty already, just to get more money if you're not going to be happy where you're at. But yeah, we'll see. 
We'll see. I don't know. But I mean, he looks he looks fucking nasty. And the one thing I wanted to bring up with you is I've he reminds me of Big Poppy in a certain way because he just barrels balls up and like peppers that wall. And when he hits those line drives in like left center field, I recently came across an article. I don't know if you read this article, but it was uh I don't even know where the hell it was, but it was about Big Poppy. They're interviewing recently. He's basically saying his whole career came down to, let me quote it, uh, hold on, his most important lifestyle assets in his baseball career was whiskey and bench pressing. That's I did read that. I did read that. <laughs> Ama- amazing statement. <laughs> um, but, you know, he did say, I think he said Manny Ramirez is who got him into lifting you know, for real, seriously in 2003 and that he'd lift for like six hours before spring training games and then another couple hours at night. doesn't even really seem possible, but no. Yeah. You know, bench press it up and then drink some whiskey after the game. I wish it was that easy for me. (laughs) I would have been great, but (laughs) well, the year that the year he hit 54 bombs, it said, Oh, six was the year that he maxed his bench at 400 pounds. He was just repping out 400. I mean, pop is a big dude. Uh, that's still a lot of weight to be pressing and then swinging a bat and being flexible. But he said, like, hey, it made my bat feel like a toothpick, so it felt good. So it's like, all right, whatever works. Clearly it worked. It shows you how good these guys are skill-wise, where if it just comes down to bench pressing more to transform, like, an average <laughs> player into a Hall of Famer. I mean, you and I could bench press as much as we want, right? We're never going to do that. So I read that and was just laughing. Like, I really wish it was that easy to just bench as much as I can and have some whiskey after a game. And I'd be in the major leagues, but it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> Not that easy. He did say that after, you know, he just done playing baseball, he started up a, a whiskey bourbon company. And I didn't, re- I've seen it in the stores before in the, in the liquor stores. Whistle pig whiskey is his. So, so I don't think he started whistle pig. I think what they did the is they're, they're coming out with a new whistle pig that David Ortiz oh. is a part of. Uh, because okay. Whistle Pig has been around since the early 2000s and it makes one of the best rides out there. We can we can talk yeah. bourbon or scotch all day. But yeah, David Ortiz is not, I don't think, a founder of Whistle Pig, but he is involved in this new bourbon that is coming out through Whistle Pig. Okay, I misread it. But yeah, I was I was interested. I saw Whistle Pig. I'm like, damn, I've, I feel like I've had that and it's pretty good. Nonetheless, pretty sweet. So yeah, that's Devers, man. Dude, another guy who... So, oh, by the way, I'm buying Devers for the rest of the year. Like, if you if you could we do redraft right now, I would have kept going against you in our draft and just would have bid the shit out of him fantasy-wise. But, like, dude, he's even if he cools off, he's still just – he's too good. Completely agree. I obviously bought him before the season, and um, I'm buying him the rest of the way, man. No one's going to pry him away from me. Uh, I'm keeping him for sure. Oh, man. All right, let me rapid-fire something at you. First thing that comes to mind for a team, let me know what you think. Houston Astros. Cheaters. <laughs> <laughs> no, Houston. Trash can cheaters. Yeah. Houston's going to be there at the end. I mean, they they just always are the last few years. Even if the guys they have, I know they lost Correa. Um, Altuve doesn't put up the numbers that he used to put up regular season-wise, but whenever the post postseason rolls around, he, he returns to, like, Hall of Fame Altuve. Uh, and they got, what, Jordan Alvarez and Bregman, all those guys. I think it'll be fine. All right, here's another one for you. Angels. Mike Trout injured again this is the first thing I thought of. Uh, of course, like he, he did get beamed in like the hand or the ribs yesterday. I think yeah, it was the hand. Bad. It's like that guy can't stay healthy. It's crazy. They have like the two two of the five best players in the game on their team. And I know baseball is much more than that. 
but it's nuts that these guys can't even make the playoffs. So I guess one word for them, underachievers. But if we talk about Otani for a second, because that's a, to your, you know, Trout, yeah. two of the best players, Trout and Otani. Otani's ridiculous. Otani hit a ball 119.7 miles per hour for a ground rule double the other day. And then he hit like two home runs the next day. This fucker, it looks like he's bailing out every single pitch, like just totally pulling off. And he just, I think he's so, I mean, he's tall, but he's like so levered when he hits the ball and he barrels it. it, it and then he like glides around the bases. He's like fucking sprint. He looks like, uh, remember Scott Rowland used to sprint on his fucking home runs? Otani's like jogging, but he's fucking sprinting. The guy's just an animal. And I'm like, fuck, man, this guy, unbelievable. Dude, he's one of the just best pure athletes I've ever seen play baseball. Like he's what six four. He's an absolute beast. Yeah, uh, I love watching him hit, even though it looks kind of ugly sometimes. Because you're right, he does kind of bail out to the right side. But lefties can get away with that too, much more so than a righty can. And if he connects, it's pretty much, pretty much gone. I mean, first pitch is like a letter high fastball against the Rangers, and he freaking belts it out. Like he had to get on top of it a little bit, and he still hit it out. What do you say about? I'm gonna, and I, I don't put you on the spot for a couple couple teams, but I'm going to go back to a couple players. I'm going to toot my own horn. I don't know if you saw Jesus Lazardo, NL East, for the Marlins, his first start. Fucking 12 Ks, five innings. He hasn't started again since. He starts, I think, tomorrow for me. But he was throwing fucking 99. I didn't know he threw that hard. I knew he threw hard, but I'm like, holy shit, man. And he was just throwing darts and then nasty slider. No one could touch him. Yeah. Um, his stuff is super impressive. I guess whenever I see a starter throwing that hard, the first thing you think of is, can you actually keep that up for an entire season? Like right without facing an injury or something like that. Cause it just takes so much out of these guys to, to throw that hard for an extended period of time. Uh, but really impressive uh, start for him for sure. And he's and he's super young. I mean, what he's only twenty four, I think. Um, he was one of those big prospects with the A's, right? He got he got flipped over to them last year or in the off season trade, I believe that's right. But I mean, speaking of throwing fucking darts, and do you have Hunter Green with the Reds? I do not. Hunter Green with it. Did you see any of his start last night? With no, I, I missed it. He set a record. He threw thirty nine pitches over a hundred miles per hour in a start. I mean, that's just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's the same thing I said about Lazardo. Can you actually keep that up? I mean, who knows? It's it's just crazy seeing starters with that type of velocity consistently. You'd see relievers like Chapman when he first came up. I remember watching him just seeing if he could possibly hit 105 like one day, right? You're just kind of mesmerized at the velocity. But now that their starters are throwing that hard, I don't really know what the batters are supposed to do quite honestly. I mean, that's one of the problems with baseball in terms of viewership and, and stuff. You could talk about a lot of things. Part of it is it's really fucking hard to hit, right? Offense is down. So these guys are going for the all or nothing approach. Three true outcomes are just trying to hit homers, walk. And if they don't, they're probably striking out. Sort of makes for a boring product sometimes. How about the other end of the spectrum? Did you see Darno, Donardo, Darno <laughs> for the Braves? Did you see him get hit by the 52 mile per hour EFIS? When the I Braves did. were up like eighteen to three, and he fell on the ground and like pretended like he was dead. I did, man. <laughs> what what was up with that? I didn't like ever follow through to see if was he so, joking? Was it for real? But yeah, it was. Jo- <laughs> he, he was joking because they were up. They were up like eighteen to three against the Nats, and the Nats brought in like their center fielder, and he was just throwing fifty five mile an hour Ephesus. I don't know why he didn't get out of the way, but I think at that point he was just like he got hit. He went down and just pretended to be dead, and everyone laughed about it. 
But I'm pretty sure the pitcher was like, fuck, dude, get out of the way, man. Like, let's get this show on the road. There was another position player that the Rays brought in last week to pitch and was basically throwing 60 miles an hour. Made made a pretty ridiculous uh, diving catch near the dugout, too, uh, on a pop-up. But it's always funny when you see when you see that happen in the blowouts, position pitchers come in, and whether they're actually going to try to pitch or just get guys out by literally throwing lob balls at the plate because you never you never see stuff like that. I mean, if I faced a 50-mile-an-hour underhand toss in, in one of our college games, I'd probably pop up, <laughs> right? Oh, pop up? top it to the third baseman or maybe miss it and pull your oblique or something. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. So I take it based on kind of your, you know, Lazardo green, some of these guys throwing hard buy sell type thing. You kind of in the monitor, you're not buying, you're not selling. You're a little bit in the, let me, let's wait and see a little bit just because of, Hey, it's, it's early. And these guys are throwing fucking gas right now. Let's see if it, they can sustain. Yeah. I, I'd probably be, buying them in terms of liking the start and thinking that they're going to have productive seasons. But this is partially my philosophy when it comes to fantasy (laughs) Um, in terms of not targeting pitching, right? I'm not giving up a ton for those guys like in a trade or something like that. If I'm trying to acquire them conversely, if I owned one of them and someone came to me with a pretty decent offer, I I would potentially be willing to to let them go for the right offer, but that's just because early. it's my that's that just because it's my philosophy. It would be depending on what the yeah. offer is, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's it's so funny because we're so opposite that way. Like early in the season, I'm like, Ugh, anyone's got potential, I got to see how this thing rides. Yeah, yeah. Late in the season, I'm willing to like, hey, they put up a really good season, and like they're going to keep going, obviously, and I'm willing to throw a bunch at it. But uh, it would have on, to be a lot. Much. I'm not I'm not trading them yeah. for a guy like Mitch Haniger, right? Even though he's uh, on my team and doing OK. <laughs> That's your boy, Mitch, dude. Yeah. Mitchy boy. But um, I guess on the flip side, if I drafted a guy like that for a dollar or two dollars or something like that, and they started pitching that well early, I would need a lot probably to get rid of them because that's a cheap pitcher that actually may work out for me. Right. That could be on my staff and be productive. I don't want my pitching to suck. I just don't want to pay a lot for it or trade a lot for it. Yeah. So yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I agree with you. Speaking of some, some po- prospects buying low out of the gate. And I know you put these on the storyboard for us today. Uh, Nick Lodolo and Runzi Contreras. So Red starting pitcher, lefty, who looks fucking nasty, by the way. And Ronson Contreras for Pittsburgh is a reliever who I think he throws like a fucking hundred too. Yeah, he's supposed to, he will be a starter eventually. Right now he's up in a long relief role. Those are just two examples of guys, extremely highly regarded prospects. Both had rocky starts to their big league careers. Those are guys I would maybe consider trying to target early, even if they don't turn it around right away and getting them maybe for cheap. Um, at the same time, though, I'd be surprised for anyone in our league who own them to be willing to give them up really quickly because, you know, of, of their prospect status and and uh, what their rating is or should be. But that's kind of my philosophy. You're looking at kind of like buy low on some of these guys who you think have the upside later, right? Guess who has Lodolo? You had one guess. Will. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got con- <laughs> I've got Contreras, I think. you got Contreras. League. Yeah, so... So I've done something a little, I know we'll get on from our fantasy teams a little bit, but like I've done something contrarian for the first, not actually not the first time, done it one other time. I picked up a middle relief pitcher for, for the Astros, Javier Vasquez, 
His stats last year, he threw like 110 innings, middle relief, with like a one whip, a two ERA, and like 150 strikeouts. Yeah, I love doesn't that. Get, doesn't get saved, doesn't get holds, or doesn't get wins. Maybe get a win here or there. But the reason I picked him up is it's like, if I can lock in 150 strikeouts in 100 innings with really good peripherals, that's better than a fucking streaming starter. The only downside to doing it is if you had enough closers to fill all your relief spots, so you're taking a spot away from a closer. But if you don't, I, I often look to get guys like that that are pitching, you know, several times a week, giving me 10 Ks a week and keeping my yeah. ERA and whip down. I don't mind that at all. So I, I went with it and he had a great week. I think he threw five or six innings for me and had like seven strikeouts, like a zero ERA and like a one whip. Yeah. Perfect. I had Basically a guy a starter. I had a guy like that in the Astros a few years ago. I'm completely blanking on his name. I had Middle, him too. I, it, it was the nasty changeup. Nasty changeup. Uh, what the I fuck was his name? I didn't even see him pitch before I added him, but he had all these Ks. So I'm like, this guy must throw gas, got a nice slider. I remember seeing him for the first time and he's got like a 70 mile an hour changeup and he's still striking all these dudes out. I'm completely blanking on his name, but he would pitch usually two or three innings per relief appearance. I think he had like a one five ERA that whole season and a ton of strikeouts. It was great. And, and talk about injuries like Javi Baez, he came out hot and now he's got a thumb injury out of nowhere. Yeah, I got him on my he's team, on man. It's It was brutal. IL for 10 days. You're like, when did he hurt his thumb? There's been so many injuries. Like every every time I log in, just injuries popping up, sprained thumb, hitting the hand, tight oblique, tight hammy. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Tough to deal with. You know what I've you know what I've been surprised about too? How many people have gone on the IL and immediately transferred to the 60 day? Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of guys like uh go on the IL and then the next day they're like, Oh, we're transferring to the 60 day. I mean, shit, you gotta be pretty fucking hurt. Like you gotta <laughs> raise the pitcher. Luis you gotta Patino. be you gotta be you gotta be pretty hurt to get on the 60 day. <laughs> I mean, Luis Patino as a starter throws like four pitches, says his oblique hurts, comes out. They're like, ah, he'll be all right. Goes on the IL. Literally 24 hours later, like it's a severe strain. He's out for 60 days at least. Yeah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> you said he was barely hurt. What are, the, what are the rules on that? You can't just like keep a guy in the 15 and just continue to re-up it. Like, is that is that the reason they've got to go on the I, 60? I think you go on the 60, you're allowed to do something with your 40-man roster. You're allowed to, like, bring someone from the my. You know, I don't know all the fucking rules, but yes. there's something with the 40-man roster, obviously. That's why they do it. Otherwise, that's, that's such you a, would just throw them. We're going yeah. to we're, we're talk about uh, our former coach later in the pod, but if we had a 60-day IL in college, that would be the Rossiest of Rossi moves ever. Like, you'd go into his <laughs> office and be like, hey, coach, I got a hangnail. You take a look at it. You'd be like, you know, we're going to put you on the 60. <laughs> you're done for the year. You're done for the year. The season started. You're done. <laughs> you can't play I, through that. I could, think, I could think of a few people on our team that he would have put immediately on the 60-day IL after, like, week one. Probably me and Machine's got to be one of them. Yeah, Eric. Eric. <laughs> Coach, I got a hangnail. I'm good. Nope, nope, nope. 60 days. got to rehab that, dude. Got to go see the trainer. Get a good, good appointment with a doctor. Put some stim on it. We'll see in 60 days. Let, transitioning into uh, some random baseball shit. So just quickly, as, hey, we're 11 days in the season. It's already happened. But the PitchCom. Yeah. So everyone knows about the PitchCom. It's the new, you don't have to do it. But teams are allowed to have the catcher relay 
via a pad of some sort with numbers and I don't even know what it fucking looks like, but like numbers, location, they hit a little pad that's on their wrist or on their knee pad and it transmits a signal or a voice and it tells the pitcher what pitch they want to throw. So instead of actually doing... As well as three people in the field as well. As well as three people in the field and one coach. So there's five total people that can have this thing. Now the voice is in like the like the hat, like on the inner part of the hat. My first thing, Chris, is I watched opening day, Corbin Burns with the Brewers is using it. And whatever, I don't even know who they're playing. I can't, oh, they're playing the Cubs. Stadium's rocking early. He can't fucking hear. He's holding the glove over his head and ear, trying yeah. to, and, he, like, and he's telling the catcher, do it again. It's like he can't a fucking, hear anything. it's like a quarterback, like standing there in a two minute drill with their hands on their helmet because they can't hear. Yeah. Like, we want that in baseball now. I get the theory behind it. That was the first thing I thought of too, is like, they tested this. Um, I read in an empty stadium with a catch with a catcher and a batter to see if the batter could hear the the voice in the catcher's ear i get that right we want to make sure the batter can't hear the signs but how about testing this thing in a stadium full of people screaming at the pitcher to see if he can actually hear the signal imagine playoff time <laughs> yeah think of when the playoffs come and like you, you know you think of those houston games or remember the rays with the cowbell those rays games with the cow there was more yeah. cowbell fucking will ferrell fucking gut hanging out cowbell going on in that fucking stadium there's no way people are going to be able to hear you know what you're gonna you know what you're gonna hear is instead of the cowbells, a savvy fan base would be projecting a GPS style voice just saying fastball outside, fastball outside. <laughs> the whole stadium yeah. just doing that at once so the pitcher can't even understand what he's hearing and what he's supposed to throw. Well, that, well that's what I was going to say. What is this? First of all, if you're going to do this thing, give people a little earpiece. I mean, you know, you watch the movies and Secret Service and all these people always have a little earpiece and it's pretty, you know, concealed. For fuck's sakes. Give these guys an earpiece, one, so it's in their goddamn ear. But number two, my real question is, what is the voice? Is it a robot voice? Is it ass ball outside? <laughs> I think I heard it as like a like a female like GPS voice is what I heard. So it's like it was... an English woman, like but yes, ten left, Ex- ten left like... with your curveball. <laughs> That's exactly like... <laughs> what it sounds like. <laughs> Oh my god that was my real question i was like oh, i just want to know what the voice sounds like because you know you got like alexa or google home you can change the voice i'm like oh, fuck this voice i want i want the aussie male just like speaking to me like fucking bobby like throw a fucking nasty slider that maybe maybe Australian. they're gonna allow pitchers to pick their own voice maybe like there's someone in this pitcher's life that has a soothing effect on them like someone's dad or mom imagine your mom in your ear just like honey throw a fastball on the inside corner of this pitch and he just calms you down <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. The pitch com, unbelievable. You know, it's a good, I understand, but I understand, man. Baseball does have to find a way to like speed the game up, but that, I don't know. I, I, it's probably going to get there eventually. Right. If it wasn't in the year 2022, but I don't really see a problem with just normal hand signals. doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me to, to make the catcher put down a one or a two for a fastball or curveball. It's also inevitable, man, that pitchers get crossed up all the time. It usually happens with a runner on base because catchers are throwing down multiple signs. You got to do addition or whatever the hell you got to do. But it's only a matter of time before, you know, the catcher hits fastball and the catcher hears fastball in his ear, but the pitcher hears something else. There's going to be cross ups that way. 
catcher's going to get killed or something. Probably be a lawsuit against the company that freaking made this thing. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I also think it's got to it's got to be easier also, man, to steal signs that are actually like out there in the world and, you know, on a, oh, yeah. on Wi-Fi or something somewhere than actually deciphering someone's hand signals. So there's probably going to be new sign stealing scandals that come from this. Could be entertaining. Again, I just don't really see see the need for it personally. A, I always thought it was hard to steal signs and B, relaying the signs as a player. I mean, we used to steal signs or at least someone would pick them up. And then we try to relay it really quickly. And it you have impossible. to be as a batter. You as a batter, you have to like look out to your player or like hear what he's saying. Register, like, oh, he just said it's gonna be off speed. Like I'm and then all of a sudden you get a fastball at your face and you're diving over the plate to try to hit a curveball. And you're like, Well, I guess we didn't steal the signs because yeah, it didn't work. I never even wanted the signs if people had them because there was too much that went into it. I mean, I guess if if someone if we had a trash can in a dugout that people were banging for off speed, like that would be helpful, <laughs> like the Astros, but other than that, it's like, man, just wait for a fastball, hit it. <laughs> Along the lines of things in your ear, the one thing I do love was Sunday Night Baseball, the mic'd up. Oh, I love it. And they had Joey Votto week one and then Ozzy Albies last night with oh, they the had, Padres. They had, they had Kike in between those two. Oh, oh yeah, Kike. I forgot about yeah. him. I forgot about Kike him. Yeah. was great, man. He was out in center field. Um, <laughs> our friend Mike, I was talking to him about this. He was bitching because he thought the announcers were actually helping Kike because there was like a runner on second and they were like, so Kike, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, if it gets hit to me, like I'm letting this loose and going home, throwing home. And the announcer's like, what, you don't, you don't care about keeping that runner off second. And he got the ball hit to him next play and actually hit the cutoff man. So he's <laughs> Mike thought that the announcers actually helped the Red Sox in that situation. But I think the interviews are awesome, dude. As long as the players like don't mind it. I think it's uh it's really cool to get the insight as they're playing the other day when Ozzy Albies was on, he was literally in the middle of the interview and he got a ground ball double play hit right at him. And like, you heard the whole thing. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. One thing I think people always like to hear, you know, you like mic'd up in the NFL and you hear the shit like in the scrum, you hear people like sometimes they're fucking with each other. Like, oh man, you, you bitch, stop touching my ass, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly you what got Joe. <laughs> yeah. You got Joey Votto uh, on, on the first night where he's like talking, he happened to be talking to Albies. And he's like, yo, dude, I'm thinking about getting some gold teeth, man. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't know. We're just totally fucking with them. That's what baseball players do. There's a lot of downtime in baseball, honestly, so we all know it. These guys coming on base, you just start shooting the shit. And Joey yeah. Votto, the fucking Canuck, is just talking about getting gold teeth. That's why I first... don't he was serious, but it's awesome. First base is probably the best position to mic up because they are having the most conversations with the other team, right? Like you get a center fielder, they're only talking. They're not talking to anybody. I feel like the first base conversation is in art form. I never played first base. I have no idea. I probably wouldn't say anything because I feel like I just hated everybody that I played against. Whereas you were probably more of like a could chit chat a little bit with the other team and still keep your competitive edge. I wasn't about that. What do you think our boy Rick, who played first base at Siena, was talking to people about? Like anything? <laughs> the only thing I could think Rick would be talking about would be like, oh. <laughs> See that Philly cheesesteak in the stands? <laughs> Fucking starving. We've been out here for five hours. <laughs> I would pretty much it. I would love to have a recording of all of Rick's first base conversations, assuming he had any, and just and just hearing those back because they've got to be great. Along those lines, I'm playing American Legion, summertime, 16, 17 years old. We're playing Montville, Connecticut. So I played for Niantic Connecticut Legion. We're playing this team 
who has this one guy who's their leadoff hitter. He's pretty good. And he, you know, he hits a double, he gets on second base and like, there's someone in the stands just actually with a fucking cowbell. No, no <laughs> lie. I know we just brought cowbells up. I hate to say it. This is a little, little trashy older woman. Just things are flying body parts, cowbell, just man. It's not a good scene. Yep. And I walk up, I'm playing shortstop. I walk up to second base and I'm like, dude, nice hit. Good rip. I was like, what the fuck is going on in your stands? That is atrocious. And this kid turns around and goes with tear, like tears for me. And that's my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I went back. I just turned around, went back to short. I was like, I felt terrible. I was like, oh shit, man. I was ragging on this kid's mom. Was uh was our buddy Anthony Giansanti still playing professional ball right now? He's from Montville. Was he on that team? He uh I don't think he was playing Legion because he's three or four years younger. I think he was okay. three years younger than us. I think he was playing like football, getting ready for football or something. He Dude. was not on that team. That's that's remarkable. I I can't think of any similar conversation because honestly, I never never spoke to the other team like even through college unless like knew the kid or maybe they said something to me i would make a little bit of small talk i just wasn't one for that just kind of my personality i guess but that (laughs) that's incredible it's in my it's in it's ingrained in my memory the kid's look he turned around like welled up (laughs) tears in his eyes like that's my mom man i was like fuck (laughs) shit i mean i meant what i said but i feel bad yeah exactly (laughs) oh man the mic'd up is awesome. There's a simulcast bullshit. I don't know anything about that, but you put Dude. it on the storyboard. K Rod, man. Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do. Oh, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to uh, emulate the Manning cast, which is great. Every Monday night football game, I would watch the Mannings over the regular broadcast because I really thought their insight was great. I didn't love the interviews as much that they would do. I really just like them talking to each other, but they're, they're trying to do the same thing with, with Michael K and A Rod. We've said it a bunch of times. We're Red Sox fans, so I don't love Michael Kay for obvious reasons. Longtime Yankee announcer. Although I think he's good at his job. A-Rod is just insufferable in the booth, dude. He's he's just like one of the worst I've ever seen. And he's decent as an analyst, you know, like after the game or pregame, he does an okay job. But in the booth, With when he's calling, yeah, in the booth when he's calling games, he's just... I don't even know how to explain it. Like the classic case of just saying the most obvious thing possible and acting like he's providing the viewers with this immense insight into, you know, the way major leaguers think or how to hit. It's just, just insufferable, man. So I've watched a little bit of that simulcast and I may do it again just to maybe have some fodder for the podcast going forward, but I will not be (laughs) regularly tuning in. It's bad. And I'm going to be surprised if they bring it back for another season. You got to try it. If you haven't listened to it, man, you got to just at least give it a shot. It's not good. I was going to say, I I don't know if I'm even up for it, but I I may now that you're, you're talking so much shit on it because it sounds that bad. It might be good for one episode or or one, you know, five innings or so. So I'll give, I'll give a shot. Yeah. He, he should have stayed just as an analyst and out of the booth. Um, It's not a good fit. Remember they had a guy, I think it was Doug Glanville. Is that right? Am I thinking of the right guy where they put him out in the stands? And he was calling games from the stands as like the third analyst. I mean, Glanville did do uh, commentary. I don't know if uh, I don't remember him doing that. 
I'm pretty sure, you know how fucking Booger McFarlane in the NFL, they threw him out in the stands and he had like a different angle on the action? Yeah, yeah. I think they were doing that like the last few years with Doug Glanville. And I always found it was, they'd like go down to him and he'd just be like sitting there in like the third row on the left field line, like the foul pole. He'd be like, yeah, it looked like a home run from my angle. And you're like, <laughs> what, 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 did you, what did you, what did you, what did you think, sir? <laughs> yeah, like, what insight are you giving me, Dougie Fresh? On Nothing. a fucking home run that was reviewed by New York and technology. Like, we all saw it was fair, you fuck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Coach's Corner and Tales of Hennepin Hall. What do you think? Yeah, let's let's get into Coach's Corner. I think we can do some unwritten rule discussion next week, uh, just, just for timing purposes. Maybe yeah. beef that up a bit. I'm sure that there's going to be a few more incidents in week two that will lend itself to that topic. But we had a few things happen week one. We had a we had a benches clearing brawl when uh, Lindor got hit for the Mets, and then also the Giants bunting up nine runs, which caused some controversy. But we'll get into that and much more uh, next week. So Coach's Corner this week. We thought we'd change it up because we did, you know, first two episodes, we talked a lot about Naki, who we got about, you know, half a dozen more stories with just him. But we thought we would do a little bit of a of a discussion holistically about Siena's and NCAA's longest tenured coach. In any sport? In any sport. That's insane. I think it's 56, <laughs> I think it's 56 years now. God. 50, 56 years, our head coach from Siena College. Uh, still coaching, uh, and just kind of generally talk about uh, some of his nuances, and there there was a lot of them. I mean, you say he's still coaching. Uh, I don't know if he fits the definition of coaching. <laughs> he's there. He's listed as the head coach. Uh, you know, he was listed as the head coach when we played. I'm not quite sure what he did, uh, so I can only imagine how it is now, 15 years later. Coach Rossi, if you're listening, great guy, <laughs> I think. he's he, He's like your grandpa. Who like you drink a beer with after baseball? Like he's come down here to play UNC Charlotte, and me and Gadali, another player that we played with, we'd go see him, and he's 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 the best. I've heard you say that. I never had that type of relationship with him. He he's like the most hands off head coach I've ever seen in my life. He would just kind of sit. He had an office that overlooked the the baseball field, you know. So in the fall. We'd be practicing. You'd almost never be down there. Everything would be run by our assistants. And then he'd like show up for, you know, the annual fall scrimmage and make the lineup. And you'd be like, oh, I'm playing left field today, but I played shortstop all fall. You're putting me in left out of nowhere. I'd be like, great. <laughs> Thanks, Rossi. Appreciate the heads up. Uh, and then he'd do the same for the spring. He'd show up game one and, and that's it. There's so much to say, man. My favorite story about Rossi, I think he came up to me my junior year. And he, he didn't really say much to me or anyone else. Like he came up and he's like, Hey, Chris, do you realize you hit with a leg kick, you know, picking up your left leg before the ball came in? I was like, yeah, coach, I, I do know that I have a leg <laughs> kick. Like I've been working on it for a long time. It's, it's a, I'm cognizant of it. It's a part of my hitting approach. He's like, you know what? I always had a leg kick. I didn't know about it until about junior year of college. My coach one day said, Hey, Tony, why do you have a leg kick? Do you like it? Do you think about it? And I looked down and I saw my leg up in the air. I said, Whoa, I got a leg <laughs> kick. Didn't know. He's dead serious. It wasn't a freaking joke. So I was like, yeah, coach, I know I have a light kick. It works for me. And like, that was the end of that discussion. But I left just like flabbergasted. Like this guy who was a really good baseball player back in his day, apparently did not know if you asked him before that conversation with his coach in 1950, you said, Hey, Tony, you pick your leg up when you hit it. Go, no, no, <laughs> no idea. No idea. <laughs> First time. 
So glad you told me. What about you, Jake? What, what's your what's your Rossi tidbit? There's two. It's the way he dressed for games, but then also the whole 3-0 mentality. Oh, yeah. So I'll talk about the way he dressed for a second. So most coaches <laughs> have a jersey in the baseball pants. And if they're cold, they wear a fleece, you know, a nice, you know, the jacket, something over all of that, correct? Correct. You wear it over the jersey. <laughs> Even if you go out to first base as a first base coach or third base. Yeah, normally the coaching staff has like a, a matching, like you said, a fleece or matching something like that. fleece or coat, a nice, you know, varsity jacket if you're going old school type thing, nice button up, you know, whatever. Yeah, something. Something. Well, Coach Rossi would wear not only the fleece underneath the jersey, <laughs> but that didn't cover the neck. So he had to wear a dickie. <laughs> I didn't know what a dickie was until I got to college, man. <laughs> Neither did I until I saw him when he was trying to pass out dickies for us in Niagara. He's like, hey, who needs a dickie? I'm and like, they- what is this crop topped? Yeah, thermal thick turtleneck thing. He's like, it's a dicky. Everyone wears some. For for the people who might be listening who don't know what a dicky is, just like we did not know, it's a turtleneck that essentially stops at your shoulders. Like that's what it is. It's, it, it's an <laughs> ultimate crop top shoulder <laughs> turtleneck, and he would wear that probably with a t shirt, then the fleece, sometimes, and then the jersey. Sometimes a garbage bag over the fleece <laughs> underneath. Sometimes the a garbage bag. Coat, which we literally had garbage bags one year as coats. Uh, he'd wear it underneath, and I, he'd just be down at third base. His arm, he'd almost like a scarecrow. His arms were just like straight out because he couldn't put them down, like uh, Ralphie from fucking uh, yeah, Christmas, Christmas Story. story. Uh, I just, I was just like, I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, it was a little embarrassing, man. We'd be, especially when we were playing down south at some of those real legit schools. Like we would play you know, University of Florida, Arkansas, Tennessee, like some of the better schools in the country on our spring trip. And he's he's our head coach standing at third base with six layers on in the Florida heat <laughs> with the jersey over it all. Wasn't it wasn't a Just good look. Making no sense. And then trying to give signs in one of his famous ones, and he talked to us before every game, every series, he's like, Hey, we're here to hit. Three O, you know, right situation. I'll give you the hit sign. He's the only coach I've ever seen who would get upset, mad, in fact, pissed off. If you had a 3-0 count in a situation where he deemed it was appropriate and didn't fucking swing. Visibly visibly upset. Visibly upset. Turn his back to you. (laughs) Walk away. Not even give any more signs during your (laughs) at-bat. Probably wishing you hit into a double play or fly out to the fucking pitcher or something at that point. Yeah. I don't know about you. I was a 3-0 hitter. I think I swung twice on 3-0 in my entire life. I was always like, a, eh, I'm just going to keep timing it on 3-0. 3-1, I'm going to look for my pitch. If I don't get I don't care about 3-2. I'll go 3-2. I don't give a shit. But I just wasn't a big 3-0 hitter. I mean, it's way di- like guys in the major league swing 3-0, not all the time, but much more frequently than at lower levels. And it's because, number one, they're professional hitters. They have an actual chance of hitting a home run, you know, frequently. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you grow up, at least when we grew up, until you get to college, like you're never swinging 3-0. It's just an automatic take, right? So then you get to school and he's advocating hitting 3-0, which I'm fine with in theory, but there's also a level, level of comfort that's necessary to do that, right? You have to be confident in yourself to actually 
swing at a good pitch. You don't want to be swinging 3-0 just because it's a fastball. If it's, you know, up and away and it's not in your wheelhouse and you're not putting a good swing on the ball. So a lot of times it's just better to take. And you're right. I mean, he would get visibly upset, even if it was, you know, down five runs with no one on base <laughs> midway through the game 3-0 and you took a fastball down the middle, which probably is a good baseball play to try to get a runner on base, right? Rather than get something going, you know, best case scenario for me, except for the three or four times a year I'd hit a home run was a double. <laughs> you know, it's not it, swinging 3-0 isn't the best game plan, in my opinion. He hated it, hated it when hated he took it. that pitch. Hated it. So mad. And he'd tell you about it later on. I'd be like, you fucking a great pitcher on 3-0. And be like, yeah, well, did you see the fucking home run I hit on 3-2? It's like, what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot There's a lot of Rossi stories. Those are the first few that come to my mind. There's a ton. We'll get We'll get back to him. But stories or tales of Hennepin Hall, whatever the fuck we're calling it. Chris, I think you put this one on this week, which... When I saw it, I laughed my ass off because I forgot about it. And then I added a little extra to it. So give give the context here. It's two. Two kind of quick stories from our freshman year. So first two years, we lived in Hennepin Hall, regular college dorm, two kid, two guys to a room. Everyone on the hallway shares a bathroom. It's got a bunch of showers in it. Got a bunch of stalls, urinals, things like that. We had a kid on our team, Corey. What's up, Corey? <laughs> he transferred out, I think, after what, freshman year, Jake? Uh, I think it was after sophomore. Okay. I think he did two sophomore years. year. But anyways, great guy. One of our really good friends while he was there. And, you know, I have vivid memories of walking into the bathroom, take a piss or do whatever. And Corey would just be in a stall doing his thing in the stall, making personal calls, usually to his mom. So you'd hear, you'd hear Corey in a stall just being like, mom, I am studying enough. Or like, mom, like baseball's going okay. And like just having... 30 minute phone calls in a public bathroom in a stall where people are just coming in and out. I just found it so weirdly gross and ridiculous. And I, I still think about it to this day, obviously. I just, it's not something that would ever, ever, ever cross my mind to do. I took my personal calls elsewhere in, in a more private setting. Yes. And when I saw you wrote that on the storyboard, I was laughing my ass off because I can remember multiple times, multiple times where, you know, have some drinks and get going for the night. But our routine was we'd take, I don't know, six, ten beers to <laughs> in our little fucking shower caddy yeah. to the stall with, you know, four, we'd fill up all the showers. You know, they're all individual bays. And we'd like march in there and be like, oh, fucking let's shotgun a beer in the shower or whatever, <laughs> you know, just being ridiculous. And as we're walking in, you, you hear Corey like, yeah, dad, it was a fucking fastball <laughs> down and away, man. And it was... It looked like a strike. And we'd be we'd be like, Corey, what the fuck are you doing in there? And he'd be like, I'm on the phone with my mom, Dad. You're like, Jesus, dude. We're trying to take a shower, drink beers, and you're taking a 35-minute dump talking to your parents. It's a I, I'm pretty I'm pretty close to my parents, I would say, but that's a level of comfort I've never quite had with them <laughs> to be calling them from a bathroom stall. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But there was multiple bathroom ridiculous. I mean. They, I mean, Corey, that's one. There was another kid that I remember. He would brush his teeth very unconventionally, where more, yeah. normal people would brush brush their teeth with their hand. They would brush you, you moving their hand. This fucker would shake his head <laughs> uncontrollably fast and leave his hand still. He would do the opposite. Yeah, I remember that kid. Really, really serial killer type behavior, if we're being honest. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't know what happened to him, but that was bizarre as fuck. All right. Well, last one along those same lines, another kid, uh, bigger dude that lived a few doors down from us. I don't know if we even really ever got introduced, just wasn't part of our, our circle, but he would, you know, take a shower in the bathroom. What? every other kid in the entire school would do is after the shower, you go to the bathroom sink in the bathroom and brush your teeth, shave, do whatever you got to do. He would get out of the shower, walk down the carpeted hallway back to his dorm room with just his towel on and stand in front of a hallway mirror that was from floor to ceiling with an electric razor and just methodically and slowly shave his face in public, in the hallway, on a carpet, Every day. Just hair is going everywhere. <laughs> and I would walk just... by this guy every time and just stare at him like, what are you possibly thinking? How were you raised that way? How did you decide to do this in the first place? Like, did you shave in the hallway of your house growing up? Did you not use the bathroom? I don't, I really don't get it. it it's so absurd. It makes no sense. <laughs> I mean... Him and toothbrush guy might be a tandem serial killer loose in the U.S. today. We're not sure. There's there's not enough evidence to say otherwise at this point that that might not be the that might be the case. College is a wild place, man. Bunch of eighteen year olds coming together for the first time, learning the world, and you realize really quickly that uh, there's some strange people out there. You realize very quickly there's strange people in that your world, that your bubble, that you grew up in, your household is light years away from every other person just totally different yeah not always not always better but just different and uh but i will say <laughs> i will say i was uh raised properly to to shave in the bathroom and to move my hand when i brush my teeth <laughs> and not take phone calls while you're taking a shit yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> oh man good good episode as always <laughs> I had fun yet again. Got to watch a little baseball in the background, talk a little baseball. Hey, man, I back at it next week. I think we could probably do it weekly. It's really not that big a deal, so might as well. Maybe we'll get some guests on here, too. I've got a few ideas. Um, not only not only guys currently in the league, but there might be a few guys we might be able to reach out to uh, from years past who might actually have some interesting things to say, so we'll have to start working on that. I like it. Nice little tease. Even tease for me. All right, man. Good, good work. Episode three in the books. Man Pepper. Talk soon. All right.